Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Monday. Hello, and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series. My name is Jennifer McNamara, and our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. And our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. We thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Our disclaimer, as always, is that our podcast is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on our combined over 34 years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and we want to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to our sister podcast, Life as a Coding Instructor, we encourage you to jump over and listen. Angel Kendall, my partner in crime, is going to discuss with you some of these tips for you fellow instructors, as well as if you're a student, of course, learning, billing, and coding, you're going to pick up some great tips from Angel. Uh, She has a a wealth of knowledge in the industry and a very successful program in teaching coding. Today is Monday, June 28th, and our topic today is creating a culture of compliance. We are now in season three. So we hope you've enjoyed the first two seasons. We're now going to jump into this third season and bring you a lot more coding concepts, a lot more coding tips. And of course, we want to always, every season, bring you this topic of compliance. Perhaps you remember back in uh, season two, the month of May, we had a whole month dedicated to compliance. And today we wanted to, of course, bring in some outside sources. We want to interview one of my favorite compliance companies, EPI Compliance. We have our special guest today, uh, Jose Delgado of EPI Compliance, and he is an amazing speaker and, of course, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to compliance. Now, when it comes to compliance, we have a lot to cover, a lot of things we want to know. So I'm sure you enjoyed, of course, the previous episodes. We want to kind of hone in now as to how... We can put it all together, and our expert today, uh, Jose Delgado, is going to bring those topics, those concepts, those questions that you may have had about an effective compliance program, how you can create that culture and not be afraid to bring compliance into your practice. We know it's required, and we know that it needs to be done, but how can we do it successfully, and how can we create that culture in our facilities where there's no fear, we can come together and be a compliance facility? Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Delgado. He, of course, has a wealth of knowledge um, in the business development uh, and growth and management area. For the last 20 years, he really has focused his career uh, in hospitality, healthcare, and the financial industries. He has, of course, worked in many facets of business and healthcare over his career, but he really quickly realized uh, how having a complete understanding of compliance and how it intersects with the governing bodies that we see in healthcare um, and how that can really help providers to stay in business. And we definitely want that for our providers. We want them to be able to be successful. So today we're really grateful and we're so excited to introduce our guest, Jose Delgado. 
We have a very special guest on the show today. Uh, Mr. Jose Delgado is with us to talk to us today about compliance. And so, Mr. Delgado, we thank you for joining us for the program today. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I've got uh, about 20 years, 20 some odd years in, of experience in healthcare business, doing a variety of things from compliance to running practices, owning practices, uh, bringing providers on, expanding practices, working with lawyers, figuring out the finances for after practice leave. So, I mean, other than actually touching patients, I've done everything there is to do in a practice. That's exciting. You know, I have similar experience. I'm sure you have more than me, but I have, of course, been in that field where you're running things, all the back end things that make the practice run smooth. It's a lot of work, definitely. And you'll probably agree, uh, you know, doing that, one of the biggest things that practices have to be aware of is compliance. And so today we're going to talk about creating a culture of compliance. So in your okay. experience and, you know, your, your time doing this, uh, what do you see in healthcare? Uh, where compliance is lacking? What are some of the, the main areas that you see this in? Uh, so before, uh, to preface this, I do like to always mention that if you, if anybody is listening to this that has experience outside of healthcare and then they transition to healthcare, they quickly realize that a lot of the business processes that healthcare utilizes are about 10 years behind everybody else in the, in the U.S. especially. In different, in different banking industries, finance industries, even hospitality industries, we're, healthcare is just not at that same level. So the federal government's really kicked in different regulations to motivate us to be a little bit more compliant, um, a little bit more compliant. So it would definitely, it's definitely something to where it, the more people understand what's at stake, the more likely you're going to get that level of compliance and build, be able to build that culture. Thank you so much. That's really true. And that's actually a really great, uh, you know, point of view and, and experience that you have, because I never really thought about that, you know, being in healthcare all of my career, that is a very interesting thought to think about other industries. Now, when it comes to these healthcare facilities, when they do bring on their compliance uh, programs. Um, what do a lot of them misunderstand about compliance? So if, uh, the biggest misconception that I normally get is that there's only one alphabet agency that is involved with compliance at the federal or state level. They just, they just, they only see it as, oh, I only have to worry about insert alphabet agency here, depending on specialty. So if it's a pain management, they're only worried about DEA. Um, if they're if it's something that's a little bit more state, so for example, like a cannabis com, uh, cannabis practice, they're worried about state regulation. If it's a CORF or an ORF or a PT, they're only focused on Medicare, but they're not focused on the alphabet agencies behind it. If they're a primary care, they're worried about HIPAA, but they're they only understand most of the time they only understand HIPAA as if it were HIPAA privacy or as HIPAA security, and not that both components make up HIPAA. So it really, really depends on who you're talking to, but most of the time people just don't understand the full breadth and complexity, and that it touches every facet of healthcare business, from PCI, when you're taking credit card payments, to OSHA and your HR. I mean, not just the risk to your HR as employees, but you know, how, what kind of training do they have for OSHA? 
then that loops into HIPAA security and whether any of your employees have been blacklisted with Medicare, then that loops into OIG. And then, you know, it just, it just starts snowballing so fast that it just, you can, you can really have a full-time person in a small office just working on compliance. But the problem is that it's just not feasible economically. That is so true. You know, I was a RCM manager, a revenue cycle manager for a uh, ophthalmology practice. And it was a little uh, scary when they were going through a transition and didn't have compliance in place. And I, one thing I found is, you know, a lot of times they don't understand why they need it. So why do we need compliance? Let's just get down to the basics. Oh, well, if we're going to get down to the basics, the, in the basic level, the surface level piece of that, even below that is that if we're talking about a small one, one to three provider practice, most of the time, the people that own the practice do not have any business experience. They're providers. So they don't understand, sometimes they don't understand basic concepts of business tax law and employee taxes and workers comp. So we, it really comes down to where is that lowest common denominator? But if we were to go into all right, I understand the business tax law, I understand workers' comp. Now we're looking at, you know, meaningful use, macro, MIF, you know, something like that. Then you then you see where that carrot is coming in on the federal government asking, hey, you need to do this in order to get this. Do you want more money? Then make sure these measurements are covered. So it's a, it's finding out what and who is paying your bills. That is perfect. That is just perfect. That is down to the basics and a really important reason why we need compliance. Now we understand, you know, it's been around for several years now, the talk about compliance programs, it's all over the place. There's blogs, uh, there's government agencies, the OIG has some great tools, which I've we had our entire podcast series for the month of May was focused on compliance. And so we, of course, know how important it is. And here at Life as a Coder, we are so in it with compliance. And we want to always bring out compliance in, in every season of our show uh, because of how important it is. Now, we want to talk about an effective compliance program. We talked about it before, but I love your take on it. What do you think makes for an effective compliance program? So the, my... Uh... My trained default answer is always, it depends. And uh, for any practice or any manager that's listening right now, uh, you basically want to look at the size of your practice because that's going to dictate two things. What applies to you and what resources you actually have. If I'm a one doctor office with two employees and one of them is my spouse, I don't really have the resources to worry about a compliance plan per se. So I need to look at options that are not labor intensive, that have a lot of defaulted plans because I'm realistically not revenuing more than $200,000 a year, $250,000 a year. Now, if I'm an orthopedic practice, a pain management practice, and I've got 10 doctors, six locations, well, boo-boo, you better have a department with three people because this one's going to hurt. You know, um, so it, it really, it really just depends. And the problem too, is that when you start looking at those larger practices, those multi-location facilities, multi-state facilities, you're looking at, okay, 
maybe I need to have one person just focus on OIG. Maybe that may be, that may be my head coder, my head builder. You know, that maybe I need to bring in somebody that just does HIPAA privacy, HIPAA security, and they work with my IT. They just double as like my IT liaison or my IT on-site person, you know? So it really, it can be broken down. You just have to figure out what are the rules that you're playing with and having to play under. So for a lot of practices, we normally recommend find a third-party vendor that will have the basic compliance tools there for you to be able to leverage and if you're going to spend a lot of time on this, at least spend time in a positive manner that's going to get you somewhere because you can look and trust me, I have spent far too much time on Medicare's website finding one sentence and they don't make it easy for you to find any regulations, any straight black and white. This is how you accomplish X app. They don't really like to do that. It's a lot of interpretation from professionals like yourself and myself in the field that, hey, this is what we do, you know, and we do it as marketing so you can find an answer relatively quickly. But it's usually on like the second page of Google. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I hope that kind of answers the question. I know that, it, you know, it, it's an independent answer. I want to give you a straight answer, but it's, it's just the size of the practice dictates the level of involvement there is and a 40 hour or oh, 50 hour week manager you're spending 35 of those hours firemanning between patients between vendors between providers between employees like it's 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 difficult to do it's difficult to manage I completely agree. And we, we, we did have a practice like that where we had multiple physicians, we had four locations and it was just a headache. And I was just there as a third party vendor and seeing from coming from the outside in how much they were hurting themselves by, by not having that in place. It was a nightmare. So um, I can imagine some of these practices, the overwhelming feeling they have trying to figure out how they're going to budget this in, but also helping them feel, you know, comfortable and, and know they have to have it. It's the, you know, it's the law. If they practice, if they accept Medicare, they have to have this compliance program. So when it comes to making this a reality in your practice, what can mm -hmm. they do to really create that welcome environment for compliance? We know, you know, a lot of employees, they hear the word compliance, they hear training and they get a little nervous. So what can we do uh, to make them feel more comfortable? So uh, the first thing that I like to do is I always like to go in and let the staff know, hey, look, this isn't your fault. There's nothing. It's like, a, it's like when you're talking to kids during a divorce, it's not your fault. You know what I mean? Like, this is just the reality of life. Mommy, the providers that own the practice, and daddy, the federal and state regulators, they, they're going to be arguing about stuff that needs to get done. And you're caught in the middle of it, and you're just trying to find, do I have the right tools to get this into place? And a lot of times, you're going to have two types of employees. The ones that are clocking in, clocking out, you're never going to get them involved and on board. And then you have the other ones that are like, hey, I like where I'm at. I like the people that I'm with. And I want to do what's best for the practice. If for nothing else than for my selfish reason of the longer I'm here, the more I get paid. So it's, it's something to where you really want to, the first thing I like to do is parse out those two categories of employees. I want to weed out the ones that as quickly as possible. 
And then the other set, I want to empower them to do the job. I want them to understand why the rules are in place. Because if you know that the rule is there, great. But why is the rule there? Hey, all right, the speed limit is 15 in a school zone here in Florida. Well, why is it 15? So that way you can keep an eye out for all the kids that are in the area that may be crossing the street and are not very good at looking twice before they start crossing the road. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like, so it, it could be something as simple as, hey, I have a provider that works at a surgery center sometimes. Perfect. Well, HIPAA security uh, pops up and says, hey, well, um, I need to go and, and speak to a provider about a patient that just called in about a medication. Hey, the, an adverse reaction or a refill or whatever the case may be, right? Well, how do I contact the provider? Well, I'm probably going to text them. And if I text in PHI, we now have a whole bunch of HIPAA security questions that we have to have answered. So it's really one of those like, hey guys, let's let's start working with this idea that common sense exists. And now that we know that it exists, you know, let's let's make sure that we're all on the same page on what we can do and what we cannot do. Have you heard? Now the CCS exam is available without restrictions. Now is a great time to jumpstart your coding career with one of the most popular certifications in the country. The majority of employers require a CCS credential, and at Ozark Coding Alliance, we're here to help you achieve this goal. Join our workshop this July for only $129 and earn five CEUs. You can register at ccscoder.com. That is really helpful. Now, let me ask you this kind of like secondary question off of that. Yeah practice, you know, there are several types of jobs that exist. There's coders, there's billers, there's receptionists. Do you recommend having policies in place for different jobs? So you, so you absolutely need to for HIPAA security. It's part of the job description, right? So um, for example, one of the, one of the measurements is, hey, are we segregating the PHI based on the job description? If you have no job description, there's an issue, you know what I mean? So if I have a large enough office, a relatively busy office with three providers, let's say, where that front desk, um, that front desk receptionist is really only doing receptionist type work. So we're not talking about the small enough office where everybody's cross-trained. Because if everybody's cross-trained, you can't segregate that kind of information, right? Right. So it's, it, goes to, it goes to that kind of level. If we're large enough where we have an HR department, well, your HR department probably does not need to have EHR access unless we're going through the, the whole factor of just logging somebody in and getting them credentials and then getting rid of their login credentials when, we, when they're separated from the company. You know what I mean? So they shouldn't have any, any practice data in regards to the patient. If I have a multi-location, location A employees should not have access to employee information from location B. Excellent. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to be able to segregate that information. A lot of times people just don't know that they have the tools in place. Most EHRs are able to do some of this stuff out of the box. You just have to be able to ask the question and make sure that the person training you knows how to get that answer or make them do the work and get a supervisor. 
I completely agree. And that's one of the things is like knowing your software, knowing who you can talk to. And yes, asking the right questions. If you don't know the right questions, you don't know what you already have and what you need, right? So that's excellent information. Now, um, you know, being involved with EPI compliance, which I'm just, I love your company. They're just doing some great work. Um, How have you been successful in creating that culture of compliance with your clients? So the first thing that we did was we took away the fear. You should not be afraid of compliance. You should not be afraid of the rules. You should not be afraid of regulators. You should understand what their role role is in the practice. Then once we took that fear away, then the second piece is, look how easy this is to do. Again, I like to use simple examples because everyone kind of understands it, right? So if I'm teaching my kid how to ride a bike, right? I'm going to put some training wheels on. So you'll have somebody like a customer liaison um, who Ray Walters at Epic Compliance, he's the, he's the one that runs that whole department. And basically, he makes sure that the office manager has the tools that they need in order to get the staff starting the process, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, let's make this as painless as possible. Let's make this as um, not boring as possible. I know that's difficult with compliance. I know a lot of people, as soon as I come in to normally talk compliance, uh, about 50% of the room starts magically dozing off. So then it's my job to kind of like, hey, wake up. This is, this is how we deal with this. So then we'll bring up interesting anecdotes from clients and situations that kind of get people asking more questions because then I know at least, at least they're awake. They may not capture all the information, but at least they're awake. They'll remember something. You know, uh, I use I like to use the old one when we were so focused on hit the privacy and not hit the security of, hey, if you have an underage patient and that patient is pregnant, who has access to that to the patient and who has access to the baby's patient health information? And then I just sit back and watch the debate happen. (laughs) And then I go and say, hey, well, legislation says this, but court cases say this. And then they just, it, it, it wakes everybody up a little bit. You know what I mean? So right. we really try to go and make this as painless as possible in our conferences and everything. And then in, um, in our tools that we have, we have simple tools to be able to get the staff getting trained with their periodic training and their annual training. So it's really something where we, we like to be able to give you the real foundational building blocks to build a program. That's so excellent. Thank you so much for explaining that. And it's really helpful to to know what you guys can do because a lot of practices I think will really benefit from having that all in one place, one place to go for all of their answers. And really, so they can take care of the patients. They can focus on their patients and they can have something in place, a team in place to help them with those very important things that they need. And so what should clinics and facilities ask themselves when they do consider a compliance plan for their facility? Okay, so the first thing, I mean, the first question that we always get is price. Mm-hmm. Price always matters. Why? Because we, don't, we have a finite amount of resources. Right. So perfect. Once, uh, and now once we've got price there, now we have to determine value. Right? So how much is this worth? Do I think that this is worth this price? Well, our, our uh, Epic Compliance's argument for this is you're going to have a set of default policies and procedures available to you as long as you have internet access. And these are going to be covering HIPAA privacy, HIPAA security, 
OIG, which is your Medicare compliance, and OSHA. Not state-specific right now, but federal OSHA. So if you got state-specific, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of work there. But for the federal stuff, you have a basic building block piece. Mm -hmm. Then from there, you're, you, what, you, what you're going to be getting as an office manager or as a person, as a practice administrator, is once a month, you're going to be getting a checklist. Hey, these are the things you need to look at. These are the things you need to address. And then B, you're also going to be getting a newsletter. And in that newsletter, you can do a lot of really easy ongoing trainings that then qualify for different parameters and all the different regulations because they all want to know, are you doing any kind of training? They don't have any real determinations as to how often it needs to be. But hey, guys, take a look at this. I found this article interesting and appropriate for our practice. Boom. Make sure everybody signs a piece of paper. Ladies and gentlemen, you've done just an ongoing training. Congratulations. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of easy ways to get this done. If I have an IT, you know, we break it down. If I have an IT company that's doing monitoring and uh, antivirus updates, then it's just, hey, I'm going to leverage my resources that I'm already paying for and be like, give me a report of that. Give me a report of how many breach attempts were made on my practice. You know, so we'll find out real quick as a practice whether that IT company is even doing the job that we're paying them for. Right, right. Hey, if you can't prove it, I don't know if you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what the federal government's going to ask me, so I, I think it's completely appropriate that I can ask you the same question that they're going to ask me. Exactly. You know, and that, that always brings up the BAA conversation. You know, mm -hmm. what is a BAA? Who gets BAA? What happens when my BAA doesn't want to sign the piece of paper? Well, it is very important for every practice to make sure that every possible BAA, a business associate, has an agreement in place because it's your shield. You know, it is absolutely the best way for you to protect yourself when there's a breach on their end. You know, and I like to use the example from a couple of years ago of Allscript. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this. Jen, um, but all scripts got hacked. They got ransomware. Their entire database. I want to say this is about three, four years ago now. Mm -hmm. And well, what ended up happening? Well, at the federal government says the providers are the one that own that patient health information. If those providers don't have a business associate agreement in place, they're on the hook for all of those breaches. Exactly. So now you're sitting here saying, man, the federal government's been pushing me to do an EHR, and now they've put me on the hook for a giant HIPAA security breach. If they have that BAA in place, now not only are they able to push the liability onto all scripts, but now they can go after all scripts and be like, what are you doing? Why didn't you have this set up? Why wasn't this protected properly? And so there was a giant class action lawsuit against all scripts tonight. You know, like it's, you can do, you can do something as simple as, Hey, if my IT company, my uh, printer leasing company is not going to go and sign a BAA and follow the federal regulations that are stipulated for someone who creates, stores, or transmits patient health information, then I can cancel this contract and move on to a vendor that will. Exactly. 
You know, it's, it's extremely important that everybody understands that, hey, contracts are great, but you know what trumps the contract? A federal regulation. Exactly. Every time. You know, like every single time. Hey, you got a pair of queens. Well, bud, I've got a pocket aces. You know, <laughs> let's have that conversation. Now. So it's, 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 it's absolutely something where the first rule is don't panic. There are very few things that are, hey, we need to panic. This is DEFCON 5. A lot of things can be answered once we calm down and figure out what are the resources that we actually have. All right, now let's go find what's missing. And a lot of times what's missing is I don't know what I need. So we start from the bottom, start from the beginning. Very That's important. we provide an happy compliance. So grateful to have you guys on board. This is so nice uh, to have this conversation uh, because it is important that we do create a culture of compliance because if you have that culture in place, it's something that people expect. They know it's there and that it's there to protect them. Previously on a podcast, we I really wanted to help people. The same you know thing that you're saying is don't be afraid of it. It's not something to be fearful of. If you're an honest person and you want things to be done right, compliance will just come naturally. It'll be something that you will welcome and you will want in your life. And so that is kind of where I come from it is that it's, it's an important piece and it's always going to be there. Every time I take a coding exam or I teach coding exams, every single one, there is compliance involved in every single exam I've ever taken in the coding and billing field. And so we know it's not going anywhere in healthcare. It's going to be around. It's a necessity. So I thank you so much, uh, Mr. Delgado, for being on today and, and joining us. And we look forward to hearing more from you um, down the road and other topics that we, we present. And we hope you can join us again. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. Anytime. Just, uh, just let me know. Okay. I'd love to be back on and ask if, if anybody's got any questions, they ask you any questions. I'd love to go through it with you. I mean, obviously, hyper-specific ones are going to require a little bit more information that should probably be done privately. But general, general stuff, I mean, I'd love to do Q&A with you. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely get that in the works. Thank you so much for joining today. Hey, no problem. Well, it's always our goal here at the Life as a Coder podcast to inspire and educate. And you know, I always say knowledge is power. Don't give up on coding, keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. We want to thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fass, with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.